Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here today recording Lost in the Woods. Welcome back. Again. Again. Always. Today we are going to be talking about the Campville murders. So Waterbury, Connecticut is where the disappearances start. So Waterbury is a city in central western Connecticut. Approximately 80 miles northwest of New York City and 50 miles south of Massachusetts with a population of 114,500 people and it's the fifth largest city in Connecticut. Which Connecticut's really small. I have literally no fucking idea how big (laughs) Connecticut is. Let's see. 70 miles wide and 110 miles long. This means that assuming you are driving 65 miles per hour on a highway, you can drive the width of Connecticut in just over an hour and the length in just under two hours. That's fucking crazy. So it was incorporated as a town in 1686 and became a city in 1853. Do you know what makes something a town versus a city? Mm, I do not remember. It's population. Oh. So that's just when their population got over, I don't know what the requirement is. Mm-hmm. Ethnic communities distinguished the city's 25 neighborhoods, and the city was considered downtown Waterbury, which offers live theater, fancy stores, parades. So kind of the place to hang out, it sounds like. So major highways of I-84 and Route 8 run through the city, and commuter rail lines that bring passengers south to Bridgeport and then on to New York City. Waterbury faced economic decline in the 1970s and 80s and resulted in it being ranked as having the worst quality of life of 300 U.S. metropolitan areas in 1992. So, so does it seem like the place to be, Mom? Well, I meant the city part, not the whole place. Because <laughs> this... <laughs> It was also rated as one of the worst places for business and careers in America in April of 2008. Which is probably why the crime stats are as they are. So it has a crime rate nearly double that of the Connecticut average with a 1 in 286 chance of being the victim of a violent crime versus the CT average, Connecticut average, of one in 558. That's a pretty big difference. So Connecticut's average is one in 558 people will be the victim of a violent crime. But in Waterbury, it's one in 286. Which, good, good, good. for such a small population, is crazy. So for Waterbury, their assaults are 194 And the national average is 282 assaults per 100,000 people. So assaults are lower than the national average? Yes. And then their murders are 12 per 100,000 people. National average is 6. So it's double. Double the national average. That's so bizarre. Their rape is 41 when the national average is 40. So just over. And their robbery is 124, and the national average is 135. So just below. So really, murder is like the big standout in that, even currently. So don't move to Waterbury. 
So today we're going to talk about a string of murders that occurred between 1988 and 2021, possibly. Mm-hmm. So maybe a serial killer. So, And we say possibly, but we're going to put a pin in that. So our first murder, Mildred Alvarado, she was a mother of four children. So in 1987, she began struggling. So she sent her children to live with their father in New Milford, Connecticut. She was discovered strangled on January 19th, 1988, down a steep ravine in the Campville section of Harrington. So she was found wearing blue jeans, a jean-type vest, a black sweatshirt with a Playboy logo on the front of it, and a black rubber bracelet, and her shoes were never found. There have been no arrests made related to her death. So in 2009, her daughter and son-in-law pushed for DNA testing on her clothes. They're pushing for it? Why aren't they just getting it? But they were told that there was a backlog at the state DNA lab and samples would need to be sent to a lab in Pennsylvania. And nothing ever moved forward with DNA testing. Right. So as far as we know to this day, her clothing has not been tested for DNA. Good. So her family has continuously lobbied to have her case re-examined and investigated. However, no progress has ever been made in that. There is a task force, a statewide task force, that is formed to investigate a variety of murders or unsolved cases. But nothing comes from that either. So our second murder is Karen Everett, who is 25. She had auburn hair and hazel eyes and was occasionally known to go by the name Brandy. She was described as smart, friendly, and courteous. She rented an apartment above her job at Lane Financial Services of North Main Street in Waterbury. Her boss, Alan Lane, spoke highly of her. She grew up in Virginia riding horses and had an older brother, and her mother was a Connecticut native who died when Karen was 12. She would be devastated by her mother's death. I don't know who wouldn't be. It's traumatizing, especially at 12. She moved to Waterbury in 1981 for a fresh start. She wrote poetry to help work through the pain of her mother's death and began using drugs and getting into trouble. Despite encounters with Waterbury police, they spoke highly of her character, describing her as courteous and friendly, though they also noted that she was nice but screwed up and misguided. Now, detectives do claim that she was a sex worker, but there is no record of her ever being arrested or convicted as such. In September of 1987, she was sentenced to one year at Nanatick Woman's prison approximately an hour and a half from Waterbury near the Rhode Island border. It is the only women's prison in the state. But I'm not sure what she was actually sentenced for. Because we know that she was never convicted for sex work, so could this have been for drugs or something else? She was released in June of 1988 when she began working at Lane's. Her boss claimed that she was getting her life together and that she had entered a methadone clinic and was planning on taking night courses about finance. However, she was last seen on October 14 of 1988, around 5.30 p.m. The company car that she often used was broken, 
and her boss suspects that she may have hitchhiked in the North End, which is a high crime area, instead of waiting for the bus. Her body was found on Sunday, October 16 of 1988 by hunters at the bottom of a steep 40-foot embankment next to the Naugatuck River on Valley Road in the Campville section of Harrington, wearing only a tank top, and she had been strangled. There have been no arrests made in her death. So this is still unsolved. The third murder that we have is Evelyn Betancourt, who is 27 years old, and she is known as Lisa. She was also the mother of four children, and she was a sex worker in Waterbury and was known to be addicted to drugs. Her family shared that she did have a select group of men that she associated with and that she would never get into the car with a stranger. She would be found on January 6th of 1993 off of Valley Road in the Campville section of Harrington. So this is the third body that has been found in the same area. Sounding familiar. Sounding like it's kind of a serial killer. She did fight her attacker and was found to have a clump of light-colored hair in her hand and had bit her attacker prior to her death. Good girl. She was shot four to five times in the head. Police determined in 1995 that this was a copycat killer, Michael W. Curry Jr. of Thomaston, who was already in prison on an eight-year sentence for arson when he bragged to his cellmate about shooting Evelyn. He was convicted of murder and sentenced to 45 years in prison. Evelyn was around four months pregnant when she was killed. That is terrible. So they think that this Michael Curry Jr. is the one that killed her because he, because he bragged to his cellmate about shooting her. I don't know about that. And they think he was copycatting the other killers, even though she was shot instead of strangled. But she did fight more. So. So, I don't know. Now, after this third murder, police were not making any conclusions as to whether the cases were connected. And this is in quotes. They termed them a cluster of killings. But rumors were afloat confirmed by police of suspicions of a white man in a van. The best combination. And for anyone with information to call the state police. So they're publicly saying these cases aren't connected. We just think they're a cluster of killings. But be on the lookout for a man in a white van. (laughs) But don't worry. This is not a serial killer. There is nothing to be alarmed of, ladies and gentlemen. Just please be on the lookout for a white man in his 40s in a white van. but With light-colored hair who may have a bite mark somewhere. Oh, but wait. That man's in jail. Where's his bite mark? Let me see his fucking bite mark. Yeah, because I know for a fact that that shit scars. And also, let's test the DNA on the hair that was found in her hand and see if it matches him. 
Yeah. I feel what? like they're not even trying to solve these cases. Not oh, for real. Yeah, no. No, no, no. I don't... Did we not test his DNA? Did we test his DNA? Is that why we know he's the copycat killer? Because his hair matches the DNA? It doesn't sound like they tested the DNA. I would like to know. Now, our next one is Frederica Spinola. So she was born to a high-achieving family, and she grew up in Derby, Connecticut, which is about 20 minutes south of Waterbury. And she's the oldest of six children. Her father, Freddie, was a mechanic, and her mother, Anne, was a homemaker. And education was very important to her family, and she was often described as the brightest and most talented of her siblings. Hmm. She was an avid reader, and she also enjoyed writing poetry, sewing, singing, and did many different types of dance. She also enjoyed Broadway shows, and her parents attended all of her events. Around the age of 13, she confided in her sister that she had been raped by her uncle. And this was not something that was discussed back when this happened, which would have been in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Not, they didn't really... Well, know. especially when it came to one's own family members, yeah. right? And this did have a profound negative effect on her confidence. Um, I think that's very reasonable, I would say. Yes. I would say that's reasonable. I yeah. would say that that makes a lot of sense. So she graduated from high school in 1972, and she was a member of the drama and the glee club. And after high school, she began working at St. Mary's Hospital in Waterbury. So she married a man named Ray, and she would suffer several miscarriages before giving birth to her daughter Jillian in 1985. So her marriage struggled, and she eventually fell into drugs like we've seen with the other girls that we've talked about right yeah i've had the same mm-hmm. kind of cycle yeah and money was tight so she did turn to sex work in order to support her habit so by january of 1993 she was only seeing her daughter sporadically and she was really struggling with addiction at this time and she knew the other three murder victims so karen mildred and evelyn Yeah, and after the third murder in Waterbury, police were warning sex workers to be on the lookout. So, yeah, beware of the man in the white van, but don't worry, he's not a serial killer, apparently. (laughs) And they want everyone to get off of the streets. Which, this literally sounds like a Criminal Minds episode that I've seen before. I I feel like I have seen this Criminal Minds episode. Look that up, look that up later. Look that up later. Come on. I want to look it up. No! Okay. Anyway, I feel like I've seen this in multiple different, any kind of like crime show. I feel like I've seen an episode where the police are warning. Yeah, warning the sex workers to get off of the streets. But Rika refused. So in December of 1994, she was picked up in a white van at a McDonald's on Thomaston Avenue in Waterbury by... Albert Boyson, who was in his 70s. Gross. They drove north on Route 8 when she saw the sign that read, Entering Harwington. And she panicked and jumped from the van going 50 to 60 miles per hour and was struck by another vehicle. Yeah. And later died in the hospital, I assume. So she's in another town. Where is she picked up? She was picked up in her town. 
she saw a sign that they were heading for Harrington, and Panicked she started to, to panic. Because yeah. remember, haven't the rest of the victims been found in, in Harrington? Yeah. Yeah. So she jumps from the van, panics. This woman jumps from the van, and she later dies as he was right. taking her into Harrington. And but despite him being a man in the van, taking her in to a Harrington, white van. Yep, taking her to the same area where all of these bodies have been found of all of these prostitutes. Police do not consider him a suspect in the other murders. Yeah, the Connecticut State Police does not believe that Boyson is. Which is kind of weird to me. But also, we don't know what evidence has there is or has been provided and why he's not considered a suspect. Right. We don't know. And kind of an interesting twist here, the second car that hit her was driven by Andrew Keene of Cheshire, Connecticut. And he was arrested and charged with evading responsibility and negligent homicide because he did not stop. He just kept driving? Yeah. This poor woman, this poor fucking woman, like, I literally can't handle it. So she must have been able to tell police about this man in the white van, right? Yeah, I mean, before she died, I mean, she later yeah. died of injuries, but I don't know whether or not that's in the hospital or... Or do they know that it's this man in the white van because they were able to find footage of him? CCTV footage and then right. find his license plate and then find him, but did he keep driving or did he stop when the hooker, when she jumped out? I'm not out? sure. Maybe that's how they know it's him because he stopped. He stopped, but the other guy who hit her actually took off kept going what if this guy with the white van was like totally innocent and just like really picked her up for a good time and was like oh my god why did she just jump out of my van or of course you're gonna play that (sighs) i don't even know okay the next murder that we have is jessica marie muscus and she is 22 she was born in hartford connecticut and moved to waterbury when she was around 10 years old. She was an exceptional artist who won the citywide contest in Hartford when she was nine. Her family described her as sweet and generous. She was very bright and also participated in the talent show at school. She enjoyed driving around with her friends in her red Geo trucker, hanging out at Fulton Park and getting takeout. In 2000, when she was 17, she gave birth to her daughter, Destiny. She completed her GED program through Waterbury Adult Education, and her family moved to Vermont. On July 24 of 2004, after a seemingly normal day, Jessica left home in the afternoon, but she did not return by nightfall and did not call to tell her family where she was, which was out of character for her. She also did not have her purse or a change of clothes. Very strange. Her family called the police. However, police did not classify her as a missing person because she was an adult and could leave if she wanted. And that's kind of what they chalked it up to. In the six months prior to her disappearance, she had begun using drugs. And police did label her as a sex worker, while her family vehemently denies this claim. On November 14 of 2006, a hunter found skeletal remains in Campville 
near where Karen, Mildred, and Evelyn had also been discovered. Several leads were followed, including convicted serial killer William Devin Howell, who is currently serving 360 years at Cashire Correctional Institute for the murders of seven women, three of whom were from the Waterbury area. And you know, serial killers often get, like, inspired by others. None of their leads lead to anything and no arrests are made. Naturally. So, we have this other serial killer as well, who's in prison. His date that he was apprehended was May of 2005. His span of crimes was from January to October of 2003. Okay, so, and Jessica went missing in 2004. He wasn't apprehended. He theoretically could have been responsible for her and the previous ones. Yeah, theoretically. I don't know how he killed people, though. The remains of six victims were found buried in a wooded area behind a shopping center. Oh, his garden. And we're going to talk about William Devon Howell a little bit more at the end, too. So, the fifth murder, her name is Brianna Beam, and she was 20. She was born in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Tell me how you actually say that, somebody, please, because I feel like that's not how you actually say it. But I'm not going to look it up. Too lazy. Rhode Island. On October 18th, 2001. Basically, she was born, like, the month after you. Two weeks after me. And actually, about probably when you were due, because you were due in October. I think I was due October 17th, actually. Mm. I think you told me that I know it was October, yeah. So she had a difficult childhood. She had two younger siblings that she was expected to take care of. When she was five, she was put on a plane to Las Vegas to live with her grandmother, where she was enrolled in school and thrived. Beautiful. Well. Then the following... Thanksgiving while visiting family in Florida, she was traumatically taken by her mother, who returned with her to Rhode Island, and Brianna quickly ended up in the foster care system. Fucking... I know. Are you kidding me? I know. And was eventually adopted by a family in Rhode Island. So, she moved to Waterbury in 2020 when she was 18 years old. I... For a fresh start. Don't like this. No. Because she's the exact same age as me. I know. So... Rhode Island had a program to help pay rent for young adults coming out of the foster care system. Other than affordability, there was no specific reason why she would choose Waterbury. And that actually, of what I read on Waterbury, that seems to be the running theme. Like, unless you're, like, a college student or you live there because of financial reasons, people say that there's no reason to be there. Yeah. Yeah. By August 2020, Brianna had posted on Facebook that she was engaged to Richie Cosgrove. The pair moved to Thomaston to live with his parents, and they later moved to Bristol, which is about 20 minutes east of Thomaston. So sometime in 2020, after August, Brianna became addicted to heroin, and her family became concerned over the increasing erratic Facebook posts. Uh, Be concerned about your loved ones when they start posting crazy shit on social media. I feel like so many people post crazy shit on social media, though. Like, I don't know who to really be concerned for. Because if I'm thinking about it, like, you should be more concerned for me if I'm not posting anything on Facebook. No, no, no. 
a lot of people, when they go through, like, freakouts, like, there's a couple celebrities right now having, like, absolute mental breakdowns, losing their shit, and they're just posting wildfire, like, chaotic shit, which is yeah. what I imagine See, but she's... I wouldn't do that if I was going through shit. But, yeah, she definitely is doing that. Yeah, yeah. but a lot of people do. It's very common. But, like, I'm, like... Be concerned. Why is it anyone? Social media. Why is it anyone doing anything? Like obviously they're going through something. Like they obviously need help. So Brianna reached out to her grandmother and other family members for money, and this money was supposedly this money was for rehab. But after several times, her grandmother suspected it wasn't for rehab and that she wasn't going, and yeah, then refused to send her any more money. And she was also diabetic and asked for money for insulin. However, her family would only send money directly to the pharmacy, and she eventually cut off complete communication with her family. Yeah. So on April 7th, 2021, neighbors living in Brianna and Richie's apartment complex heard a young girl scream for help around 1030. Police arrived to find Brianna screaming and shaken up with torn clothing and scratches on her neck and face, and Richie was arrested for assault unlawful restraint, strangulation, and interference with an emergency call. Wow. So he had restrained her against the wall by pressing his forearm against her throat. No. Brianna managed to get away and lock herself in the bathroom, and she screamed for help because Richie had taken away her cell phone, and he broke into the bathroom and broke a razor and sliced her face with the blade. Jesus. Yeah. That is a little bit more intense than your average domestic violence a situation. A little bit, yeah. Breaking a blade to take the razor out to cut her face. Yeah. That's fucking weird, man. Guessing Richie was also doing drugs with her, possibly. Um, yeah, that's some hardcore shit. Um, He left the apartment, and he was apprehended by Thomaston police later that night. So on May 2nd, 2021, Brianna asked her grandmother for $100 citing that her and Richie had been evicted from their apartment building and were saying that they needed money for a hotel. Mm -hmm. And around Thanksgiving 2021, her grandmother became alarmed when she had not heard from Brianna since May. And she contacted the Tomlinson police station for a welfare check. And Bristol police came involved and no one could locate Brianna. So on December 19th, 2021, skeletal remains were found down an embankment of the Naugatuck River, again, in the Campville section of Harrington. Yeah. Same area, embankment by the river. Yep. And you also have to keep in mind, too, that a lot of people know that a bunch of bodies have been dumped down this embankment. So we don't know how many of these are really connected to each other or how many are using the same dumping ground. Yeah. So in February, so her body was found in December in February, the remains were identified as Brianna's through dental records. And there has been no suspect in her death. No arrests have been made. Where was her boyfriend? I have no idea where Where's her boyfriend, boyfriend is. Because this kind of sounds like... It could have been a continuation of the domestic abuse. Or it could have been an overdose. And she was dumped because she overdosed or something. Uh, maybe. I mean, they don't have... They didn't list a cause of death, but we don't know. Yeah, I mean, she... Also, I would like to know where her boyfriend is. Oh, also, officials say there is no connection between Brianna and other deaths in the area. And I'm wondering if that's because they suspect the boyfriend the boyfriend, or already have somebody else in mind yeah. or 
she was killed in a different way than the other girls. Just something we don't know. I know. I mean, this was pretty recent. Now, in addition to these five murders, the Waterbury Observer is investigating the deaths of the following women with ties to Waterbury, whose deaths were all untimely homicides. So we have Marie Thrasher from February 19, 1990, and her body was found in the Nugatuck River near Bank Street, Waterbury. Then we have Mary Jo Marquiski, I don't know, who on 11-25 of 92, at the age of 34, was found stabbed in Chase River Road in Waterbury. This is such a dangerous place to live. Especially if you're a prostitute. We also have Olga Marie from November 1st of 1994, and her body was found on Route 262, which is Waterbury Road, in Thomaston, eight miles south of Campbell. She was naked and mutilated. We also have Lori Delgado from August 20 of 1995, and she was 41 years old. She was a Waterbury resident, and her body was found on Notch Road Embankment in Cheshire, and she was bludgeoned with a blunt object and died from head trauma. She was believed to be killed elsewhere and her body dumped. Could that be from a hammer? Asking for a friend. Yeah, because that other guy. And then there's Bernadine Paul, who is still considered missing, from June 7 of 2000, and she was 37 years old. She went missing from a breadless parking lot on Chase Avenue, Waterbury, and has not been seen or heard from since, and there are no leads in her disappearance. And then there's Elizabeth Griswolks. God, these names are so hard. From 10-7 of 2002, who was 34 years old and found naked and bludgeoned at 69 Linden Street, Waterbury. D. Michelle Rodriguez went missing on 5-27 of 2007, was 36 years old, and found near the Thomaston Avenue train tracks, and the Emmy ruled this death as a drug overdose. And the last one is Kelsey Mazamaro from May 6 of 2018, and she was 26 years old. She was from Litchfield, Connecticut, and found murdered in Burlington, one town north of Campbell. So that's a lot of unsolved, possibly unrelated homicides and one overdose. Now, remember, we talked about William Devon Howell, who murdered at least seven women and was convicted of these murders. And the three women that he murdered that were from Waterbury were Melanie Ruth Camelini, who was 29 and went missing on January 1 of 2003, Mary Gonzalez, who was 26 and went missing around April of 2003, and Mary Jane Menard, who was 40 and went missing in October of 2003. So all three of the Waterbury women that he confessed to killing, he took them all in 2003. Yeah. Jesus. Now, we said we were going to talk about William a little more, right? So this man... I can't even handle this man. 
William Devin Howell was a serial killer who referred to himself as the Sick Ripper. Can I just tell you that I fucking hate it when serial killers choose their own names? Yeah. It, like, annoys the... It just... I can't. I can't. It's like when uh, backpackers choose their own... uh, Cringy. Their own names. Serial killers. Their own trail names. Weirdos. Yeah. All of them. Um... He would kill seven people in Connecticut in the early 2000s. He drove a rundown blue van that he not only lived in, but also murdered in. He dumped his victims in his garden, which is what he called it, by the way, which was actually a wooded area behind a strip mall after raping and murdering them. When a hunter came across three of his victims in 2007, Howell was already serving 15 years for manslaughter in the murder of one of his victims. I'm sorry. So he's convicted of 15 years for murder. 15 years. When they come across the first three victims. So he got caught with one of his victims. But they come across the first three in his garden, and he's already in jail. It was also reported that he had kept his first victim in his van with him for two weeks. Yeah, and we do hear that a lot. Like, serial killers, their first kill, they tend to be more attached to. He used a hammer. No. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She was pleading with him, please don't hit me with the hammer again. Please, please, I'll do anything. Don't hit me with the hammer again. No. Oh, my God. And then he strangled her. Oh, my God, my day is ruined. (laughs) Fuck. My day is so ruined. My day is so ruined. My week is ruined. Oh, my God. Okay. I can't even handle that. Why did you read that to me? Because I read it and I had to share it after I read it. Oh, my God. I had to share it. I could not share what I just read. It's horrifying. I'm horrified. I'm horrified. That literally makes me want to throw up. Oh, my God. I feel so sick. Maddie's crying. (laughs) Oh, my God. I hate hammers. Literally. Hammers. Oh my god, no. Mm-mm. Can we just like use tools what they're actually fucking intended for? And a hammer She's... is not intended to murder somebody. Like, can we please put the fucking hammers down? I cannot handle it. Uh, I'd rather be shot with a crossbow even though I also hate crossbows. <laughs> I hate crossbows and I hate qu- crossbows because of the quiet, not the quiet place, Um, alone. Oh, yeah. That one movie where the lady, where she's deaf and mute. And you like, have you seen that movie? No. Oh my God. Everybody should go watch it right now. It's a horror movie. I'm never watching a horror movie again. I'm done. I'm done. I need to go watch Madison. I don't need to watch a horror movie because we're reading a fucking horror movie right now, basically. So I'm calm now. I'm better. I'm okay. Okay. Um, Are you sure? I don't know if I can handle more. Um. Well, he did say after she said, you know, don't hit me with the hammer. And all that, which is heartbreaking. He said he didn't have the heart to hit her again, if that makes sense. So I strangled her. Oh, good. That's what he said, in quotes. That's, oh, my God. I literally can't. what he said. <sighs> um, and he actually says that he wasn't killing for pleasure. He was killing for because necessity. he was a rapist and didn't want to get caught. Yeah. So mm. he killed his victims. Hey, how, but about you he put, did kill- how about you put a fucking mask on? I can't handle it, dude. So the question is, could William Devin Howell be responsible for any of the other deaths? Maybe, but why isn't he confessing to them? 
Also, another weird thing that came up was in 1986, the headless torso of a hitchhiker from the Midwest was also found in the general area. And his name was Jack Andrews, and he was 26, and his case is still unsolved as well. He threw away a bag that had teeth and fingertips in a dollar store garbage can. I just, yeah, he also, he threw multiple baggies, plastic bags of human remains in bins outside stores. He did that multiple times. Cool. Okay, so that was the Campbell murders. And I honestly feel like more could probably be done in these cases. DNA, at least, should be run on any DNA that they have. Assuming they collected DNA, for Christ's sake. But yeah, that's the Campbell murders. We're going to click over to our bunker talk and decompress from this one because Jesus Christ. And yeah, thank you all for tuning in. We do have a few new Patreons to go over before we leave. Thank God for our Patreons. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for supporting us. If you're not a Patreon, you should go join Patreon. There is a ton of bonus episodes and all sorts of fun stuff on there. We have Aaron Nicholas. Hi, Aaron. Welcome to Patreon. We also have Addison Srednick. Srednick? Oh, man, I don't know. Hopefully that's at least somewhat close. Hi, Addison. Kate, maybe? Maddie's just shaking her head no. Uh, I think we have... Kate, maybe? Kate Teague? Um, I don't know. I'm sure there's. that's wrong. That has to be wrong. I don't know. So sorry. Welcome to Patreon. Please let us know how to say your name. I hate the English language. And we have Red Cooley. Hi, Red. Welcome to Patreon. Thank you so much for supporting us. Oh, actually, I think that that Patreon sent us money for coffee today. Mm. so thank you for that as well we really really appreciate even though i did not we did not get coffee this morning i got coffee this morning Maddie i did, did not, not get i drank like cold coffee out of my cup that's painted to be really fair, pretty though, watercolor little flowers yeah to be fair though i was up super early this morning editing while maddie was still sleeping hey <laughs> i woke up at like 10 what nine. time did you get out of bed like noon. Okay. <laughs> but I was watching Friends this morning. Perfect. All this morning. Perfect. All right. Thank you guys so much. It's for my so- day off. I know. All and. Right. Oh, my God. I'm just trying to close it. It's fine. I want to let everyone talk. know that I'm not just a lazy piece of shit. Bunker Don't talk. do anything every single Bunker day. Bunker talk. So I'm not a lazy piece of shit. We only record on my days off. That is accurate. That yeah. is why I'm rolling out of bed and I am in my bed until like for hours. Like I'm. I do work. I do have a job. I do do things. We know. We know. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you soon. Soon, her mother moved the family to Uncastle, Connecticut. Uncastle? Uncastle? I have no idea. What is with all the weird names in Connecticut? Connecticut? We are having so much trouble with Connecticut this episode. Um, And finding the correct 
pronunciations too. It literally is giving us like different robot voices, like in like different auto tune things, like actually like weird fucking videos on how to pronounce all these Connecticut towns. So we've kind of given up halfway through the episode. So um, if you're from Connecticut or the surrounding area of Connecticut, because Connecticut is small, so I'm sure that if you live in Rhode Island, you know how to pronounce Connecticut fucking towns. Probably. I'm sorry. By August 2020, Brianna had posted on Facebook that she was engaged to Richie Crossgrove. Cosgrove. I swear to fucking God, there's no R in it. Uh, there should be an R in there's it. There's not. There should be. Okay. By August 2020, Brianna had posted on Facebook that she was engaged to Richie Cosgrove. The pair moved to Thompsonville. Tom's? Thomaston? Thomaston. I'm going to tell you. The pair moved to Tominston to live with his parents. Try that again without laughing, though. The pair moved to Tominston. I forgot already. What Tomiston? is it? Tomiston? <laughs> the pair moved to Tominston. Tomiston? Tomiston. The, the pair moved to Tominston oh to live God. with Tomiston. <laughs> Thomaston? I need a drink. Or Thomaston? Thomaston. Thomaston. Yes. Thomaston. Yes. The pair moved to Thomaston to live with his parents. And they later moved to Bristol, which is about 20 minutes east of Thomaston. Good job. You finished one sentence. You still have more to go. Focus I want up. you to in put in right here, right now. <sighs> I want you to put in all the people clapping. Like the, I'll have to get That's that. like literally recorded from like the 20s and is yeah. still the one that everybody, everybody uses, uses on TV yeah. still. So when you hear that clapping, you're listening to dead people clap. Yeah. That's don't quote me on that either. I don't concerning. know if that's actually okay. real. I think can it's real. I think go? that's a fact, but I'm honestly not sure. I can uh, Sorry if you're hearing background noise. Phoenix is running around the house. Screaming. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. She's singing. We're not going to investigate. I think she's singing. It It sounds like she's... It doesn't sound like anybody's dying, though, so... Oh, she's looking for us. <laughs> Mom. Okay, then we <laughs> have... That's actually so funny. I'm drinking cold coffee out of a hot mug. I find that very strange, actually. I don't like it. It's iced coffee. I don't know why I don't like it, but I don't like it. It'd be like if I was drinking hot coffee out of an iced cup. Would that not be weird? Well, depending on how thick the glass is, you're probably going to break the glass. Not necessarily. I mean, like our mason jars, no. But like some of my juice glasses, Mm. 